Well, hello everyone. My name is Brent Brading and uh, have the privilege along with my wife Kate of uh, leading a church in Richards Bay called Outlook Church. And let me tell you, this is a huge, huge privilege to be with you in Clarksdorp. And so to all of you at City on a Hill Church, uh, send lots of love, lots of greetings from, uh, from uh, the church that I come from, from the NTMI team as well. Tyron Daniel always asks us to send his love and to remind the churches that we're not alone. We work together, partnering together to, uh, to know Jesus more and to make him known. And uh, really a, a shout out to, uh, to Mark and Marie. And uh, I've known Mark for, and Marie for many years now. And what a privilege to be friends with them. I love them dearly. And so to Mark and Marie, thank you for this invitation. Thank you for this opportunity. To all of the elders, leaders, to all of you saints at Sit on a Hill Church, thank you. And I really pray that over the next 30 minutes or so, my dream, my goal, my prayer is to be able to add some value. Now, I know that as a church, you've been going through a financial series and uh, Mark is an amazing teacher and I'm sure the rest of the elders have done their part as well. And I'm hoping to be able to add something to your journey. And I want to speak from the heart today because I'm not going to be talking so much about finance and how to deal with finance as much as I want to talk about our hearts. And I want to bring in some of my journey because my journey in terms of finance is, uh, is coming from, I'm going to call it a, a poverty spirit mentality. Some people come from a greed type mentality where sometimes there's a, a almost a, a spirit of entitlement, greed, always have to have the best, want to accumulate things. And yet there's a whole lot of us who come from the other side where there's a bit more of a poverty type mentality. And I want to speak into that and uh, hopefully share some of my journey and hopefully help you grow in that area as well. So I've given it a title today, and the title of this message is Repenting of a Poverty Spirit. Now, this is important. If you just think for a moment about the history of, of God's dealing with His people, remember He brought them out of Egypt. Now, Egypt, they were living as slaves, and so obviously for all of those 400 years in Egypt, they developed a slave mentality, and a slave lived from the hand of the master. Whatever the master handed out, that's what a slave lived on. They didn't get to accumulate or build wealth in any way. They lived day by day. So when as they came out of Egypt, if you remember in the desert, God provided what he called manna. And manna was a daily supply. Every day, God was teaching them, you can trust me. Now at first, as anyone does who's got a poverty spirit, the first day there was abundance of manna, the people of God didn't obey what Moses had commanded. They tried to hoard and stash and get as much as they can because who knows if there's going to be enough for tomorrow. And God rebuked them and said, no, I want you to learn to trust me. I will provide for you daily. And so for the next 40 years in the desert, that's exactly what happened. Every day, God provided, except of course the Sabbath. Remember the day before the Sabbath, He provided a double portion. Trust me, I will provide just enough. However, this wasn't God's long-term plan. God's long-term plan was not for His people to be living just enough. God actually wants His people to enjoy more than enough, the abundance, the promised land. And remember, He kept on speaking about the land of Canaan as the land of milk and honey. It was always a picture of abundance. It was always a picture of greater blessing. And the plan that God had for His people was to bring them into a land of not just enough for every day, but actually a land of sowing and reaping of abundance. God wanted to bless them. And one of the signs of God's blessing and favor is an abundance. So that's where God wants to 
take us. He wants to take us out of a slave mentality. He wants to bring us into a place of trusting Him, knowing that our God is faithful so that He can take us into a place of abundance where we know it's not my skill or my ability that has created wealth, but rather the goodness of God as I've trusted in Him. So I've called it repenting, though, because... For me, repentance is huge. I love the word repenting. That's the key to growth. Repentance is what leads to God's grace breaking in so that we can grow. And if we're not repenting, well, we're not really growing. And so I'm hoping to call all of us to a place of repentance today where we can confess some sin, break some unbiblical thinking and begin to embrace more of what God has for us. But before I get to that, this for me is huge. This this concept of breaking a, a poverty spirit and being able to to bring our wealth abundance, Let, let's put it this way, in Revelations 5 verse 12, and I'm going to be reading from the NLT version just because it's an easy version to read and to follow. It says this, and it's a picture of worship in heaven, and it says they sang in a mighty chorus. This is all the heavenly hosts and the, the people of God in heaven. And it says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. It's a beautiful picture of worship. And then essentially seven things were mentioned as a way of bringing worthy, worth, that, that's worship. How do we worship Jesus? And very practically, it brings these seven things. God, you're worthy to receive power. But very interestingly, the second thing it mentions is riches. In other words, your riches, your abundance, your resources, your finance, your wealth, your abilities, your riches are actually an instrument of worship to God. Now, we know that the love of money is the root of many evils, and definitely the love of money can become uh, something the enemy uses to hold us captive. But at the same time, what Scripture reveals is your riches are an instrument with which we can worship God. And that's what I'm trusting for today, is we break a poverty-type mentality and find the place of, actually, I want to use resources and riches as an instrument of worship to God. So why repentance? Repentance, uh, as I was saying, it's a beautiful word coming from two, re and repentance. Re always means do something again. If you reread or relook or retake, it means you do something again. It means going back or redoing something. Pent is, uh, speaks about the top. If the, the penthouse is the top floor. So to repent means to go back to that which is higher. And in some ways, that's what repentance means. It means going back to God's higher ways. What can so easily happen as we live here in this kingdom of the world is we get drawn down into the thinking of the world. Repentance means going back to God's higher ways. In fact, it says in Isaiah 55 verse 9, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And that's the goal, to be able to take our wallets, our budgets, all the financial strategies and bring them back to God's higher ways rather than getting sucked down into the world's ways, which are never as high as God's ways. Now, sometimes to understand a word, I find it helpful to find the opposite of that word. So let me ask you this question. What is the opposite of the word repentance? I would wager and say, I think the word opposite of repentance is the word rebellion. Now think with me. Adam and Eve were in the garden of God's presence, and it was rebellion that moved them out. They got kicked out of the garden because they rebelled against God. So if rebellion got them out of the garden, what's going to get us back into the garden of God's presence? 
repentance. That's why Jesus, when he preached, repent because the kingdom of God is here. In other words, to get back into God's presence, we need repentance. But why I like the opposite effect is because when you hear the word rebellion, rebellion means uh, you can often think about a rebellious teenager or something, and you know they want to do things to... But remember, it's not just about behavior. That word rebellion actually is rooted in authority. Rebellion is not just behavior that goes against the norm. It's kicking against authority. So if at the heart of the word rebellion is a counter, is going against authority, in the same way, the root of repentance is not just a change of thinking, not just a change of behavior, but in fact, a change of authority. We're never going to change our behavior in repentance until the authority has changed over our lives. We have to come under the authority of God's word. Otherwise, it becomes a New Year's resolution. I'm going to try harder, do this, do that. That's not going to work. First, we have to come to a place of submission and humility under the lordship of Jesus and his word. Only when our identity, our buying in and believing what God says about us and about his ways, only then will repentance truly take root in our hearts. So having said all of that, let's dive into the subject. And uh, how do we repent to break a poverty spirit upon our lives? Now, remember that poverty and poor are two very different things. Jesus, by all the measurements, would have been considered poor. He didn't have a lot of resources. He didn't have a home. He had no car. He had no donkey. He was just an itinerant preacher walking from place to place, staying in people's homes. So by definition, Jesus would have been classified as poor. Yet, definitely there was no poverty about his life. Poverty is not an issue of resources. Poverty is an issue of spirit. Now, maybe I'm stretching the definition a little bit, but I want you to grab the difference. This is something at a heart level. In fact, many people have a lot of resources, but they still have a poverty mentality. And I'm going to explain what that looks like now. But for me, it was really brought home when uh, I had the privilege of, of visiting Pakistan for the first time to go and visit a few of the churches there. Now, I mean, Pakistan is a, is a Muslim state, and uh, by and large, it's a Muslim country. And yet there are Christians there, and the level of persecution that the Christians are under in Pakistan is not an overt militant one, but by and large, it's more an economic one. In other words, as a Christian, uh, you would not be offered the, the good jobs. Because you're a Christian, we don't want to offer you a job. And same with schools. We don't want your children in our schools because you are of a different faith. And so what that results in is is most of the Christians are a whole lot poorer than the rest of the Muslims in the nation. And so most of the Christians live in a level of poorness. However, what I encountered going into that Pakistan area is not just poorness. Poorness, that's okay. But poverty is what I discovered. As I was ministering there, it, it became very apparent very quickly that the sense of thinking amongst the Christians and the pastors is our only hope, our only salvation is if we can recruit foreign donations and aid from other countries. So in other words, even as we were there trying to minister, the main goal of the pastor seemed to, to be to show us how difficult it is so that you can get your organizations to send us money. That's our only hope. That's the poverty mentality. When in our thinking, we are now dependent. Money has become my savior and my solution, and I have no hope if I let go of this thing called money. That's the problem, and that's what has to be broken. So that's, it is a sin. I believe a poverty spirit is a sin, and I'm going to try and define it, explain it, so that we can break it, confess it, and see freedom in this area. 
Bible says, uh, well, Jesus said, let it be done to you according to your faith. So if you have faith for poverty, faith for the less, for the least, then sadly, that's what we're going to live in. But how much better if we could catch that truth, repent of it, break it, deal with it, and come under the freedom of the generosity and goodness of our God. So let's dive into uh, a couple of signs. I found this on a, on a website, one of the Christian websites. Uh, it was called uh, Christian Truth Center blog, and it gave seven signs of a poverty spirit. Here they are. Number one, discontent. Yikes. Never feel like you have enough and never feel like you are enough. And uh, that means you're looking around, and if only I had that car, I would be content. If only I had a better job, I would be content. In other words, your contentment you have linked to your financial position. Now, here's the reality. Every TV commercial you watch is trying to hook into that thinking. You'll never be content unless you have these clothes, if you have this makeup, this car, this bike, whatever it is. Discontentment is a sign of a poverty spirit. Number two, always storing or accumulating. Now, this is not about wise financial uh, investments or having a, a savings account for rainy days. This is the inability to let go because you're always thinking, I might need it, I might need it. What if tomorrow I need it? And, and it's that thing, if you, you hoard and hold on. Your hands are closed because of fear of what if I need this tomorrow or the next day. Another one, number three, following off from that, is stinginess. In other words, if you have to give, you give, but how little can I give? You're always looking for the least rather than the most. Giving is not a joy to you. It's a burden. It's a have to because it's associated with fear. If I give, I've got less. That's a sign of a poverty spirit. Number four, a big one, is worry and anxiety and stress. In other words, you're always worried, am I going to run out? Am I going to have enough? Have I got enough? That's a sign of a poverty spirit. In fact, what I've found more and more is uh, so many marriage issues are not actually marriage problems. They finance problems taking out on your spouse. Because actually when you are struggling and stressed, the easiest person to take it out on, obviously, is your spouse. And so often when the, when the money issues are dealt with, the marriage comes right. I want to ask you, are you someone who stresses and worries about money all the time? Number five, always asking others for financial help. Let me ask you this. Are you at a restaurant with friends? Are you the one to offer to pay first? Or are you the one always looking for your wallet? Oh, left my wallet in the car. Now, this might mean not just asking people for money. It might mean always taking a loan. Maybe we should take another loan or another account. You're borrowing, borrowing, borrowing because you're afraid that you don't have enough and that begins to control you. Here's another. Number six, always envying others. In other words, this is about comparison. You're looking around comparing, comparing, comparing. And it's, it's if only I was like this. It's not fair. Self-pity, envying what others have, which robs you of your joy. And then number seven, are you controlled by worldly possessions? Now, the heart of this is actually, if you've got a poverty spirit, then really what's happened is your identity has become fashioned by your possessions. That's why you, 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 you don't want to be found to have little or less because you define your whole self-worth has now become defined by your possessions. So maybe one of those uh, seven things might describe where you're at. And if I'm all honest, yep, it describes certainly where I've come from and the wrestle, the journey that I'm on to completely break free of it. Now, my encouragement to you is... Uh, Jesus wants us to be free. In fact, Bible says, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you 
free. I am praying over the next couple of minutes as we dig into the scriptures, Jesus wants to set us free. Let's take captive those thoughts. Let's find them, repent of them, and break through into the freedom that Jesus wants for us. So I want to just teach on now three truths, three truths that if we could take hold of them, I believe will break the bondage of a poverty spirit and bring freedom to us. Number one, three truths to break us free. Number one, it starts with believing the gospel. Now, I know that sounds so simple, but I've got a little saying, and I believe it's true, that every problem is a gospel problem. At its root, every problem is a gospel problem, and every solution will be a gospel solution. So here's the problem. If you're suffering with a poverty spirit, it's because you don't believe the gospel. That's it. And I'm not trying to be harsh or critical because I'm speaking to myself, remember, but there's no other way of saying it. The gospel in a verse, remember the famous John 3.16? For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. In other words, to believe the gospel means you believe God loves you enough that He gave. How does God display His love? He gave. He demonstrated His love. He didn't send a love letter from heaven. He didn't send the angels just to sing a happy love song to earth. He gave the life of his son. He gave that which was most precious to him as a demonstration of his love and commitment to us. So how dare we say, oh, I believe the gospel. I believe my sins are forgiven, but I don't actually believe that God will take care of me. Do you understand that, how that argument just collides with itself? In fact, Paul said it so beautifully in the book of Romans 8, verse 32. It says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us as us all, won't he also give us everything else? You see, this is not a new thing. Paul was facing the same thing as he spoke to the Romans. And his argument was exactly that. If you believe that Jesus was given for our sins, that which is most precious to God, how dare we not believe that our God loves us enough to want to take care of the rest of our needs as well. To live with a poverty spirit is an insult to the very nature and character of who our God is. Now, one of the things that's impacted me so much over the last couple of years is the, is the understanding that we naturally reflect the revelation that we have of God. In other words, once you've seen, like uh, David, remember he wrote the famous, the Lord is my shepherd. He had this revelation, God is a shepherd towards me. And at the end of the psalm, he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In other words, when he had the revelation that God is my shepherd, the, the reflection in his life was, well, why worry? Because goodness and mercy will be following me everywhere. In other words, we reflect the revelation of God that we see. Here's another example. If you struggle to love people, guess what the root is? You haven't yet had a revelation of how much God loves you. Because the Bible tells us, I think it's 1 John 4, 19, it says we love because He first loved us. In other words, when you get a revelation of His love, you reflect His love to others. So, what am I saying? In other words, if you are living with a poverty spirit, you struggle. You haven't yet had a revelation of God's generosity towards you. That's the gospel. And I'm praying right now, and you might have been a Christian like me for years and years and years. Let the revelation of the gospel break into your heart now. God showed His love by giving to us that which was most precious to Him. And when that revelation of the generosity of God breaks into our heart, we'll begin to reflect a lifestyle of generosity 
to those around us as well. Let the revelation of your Father smash your poverty thinking. A revelation of God's loving generosity breaks our poverty spirit. So number one, the truth. If we're going to be set free from this poverty spirit, number one, it's a revelation of the gospel. Number two, now this in all honesty was really the part that broke into my heart and has brought the most freedom. It's not just a revelation of who God is, but number two, it's a revelation of your value. Think about that for a moment. Have you had a revelation of how valuable that you are to God? Now, I know that uh, I classify people because I classify myself, I suppose. There's, there's two types of people in the world, those with a poverty mentality and those with an abundance mentality. The easiest way to see which camp you are in is how you approach a restaurant menu. Now, when you take a menu, you open up the menu. If you are an abundance mentality person, you naturally look at the column on the left if you are a poverty type person, you look at the column on the right. Because on the left is the list of all of the wonderful food. On the right is the list of the prices. So if you're an abundance person, you don't care how much it costs. I want what I want, and I'm looking on the left. If you are from a poverty mentality, first, before you look at what the food is, you look at, oh, what's the range? You, I'll choose between this one and this one. Yeah, I know some of you are convicted because that's where I come from as well. So now... This is the point that I want to make. When something is valuable, you prioritize it. Now, I want to read a scripture, and this is the one that God used to put his finger on an issue in my heart which needed to be exposed. Matthew 6, verse 26, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are. Jesus is teaching into finance. He's teaching into not to worry. And then he gives them this illustration. Look at the birds. If your father is happy to look after the birds, are you not much more valuable? In other words, what was at the heart of the issue in terms of God's willingness to give and to provide? It was a sense of value. The real issue behind a poverty mentality, not just you haven't yet had a full revelation of the gospel, but you haven't had a revelation yet of your value to your heavenly Father. You see, the way you see yourself is the way you're going to be expect to be treated. If you see yourself as valuable, you will trust that you'll be treated as something valuable. If you see yourself as something worthless or less than or not enough or not good enough, then you will be expected to be treated in the same way. I've got a little off-road motorbike that was given to me, and I absolutely love it. In fact, every time I ride it, I wash it, make sure it's serviced, looked after, I invest in it. It's valuable to me, and when something is valuable, you look after it. Now, here's the thing. Have you realized how valuable you are to your father? When that penny drops, in fact, <clears throat> I remember I was uh, actually traveling on, uh, in South America when God was ministering this to me, saying, Brent, you are valuable to me. And, and my natural poverty mentality is like, eh, surely not, Lord, and all of these funny, stupid excuses. And as God was breaking this into my heart, I, I love flying, I love airplanes. It's just kind of the way I'm wired. But just after God ministered this, God saying, Brent, you are valuable to me. I went and checked in for the next flight. I think it was from uh, Colombia back to, uh, to Brazil. And as I checked in, they say, hey, we're giving you an upgrade. 
And that was the first time, I think the first time ever I've been upgraded on an international flight into business class. And it was like, oof, heaven on earth. And I mean, I was sitting in this huge seat, sipping champagne or whatever it was. And it's like God was saying, Brent, you are valuable. But we've got to see ourselves, not arrogantly, because it's not a value that we have created. It's an inherent value that God has put inside of us because of his love for us. So, how valuable are you to God? Two more scriptures, Matthew 10 verses 29 to 31. 31. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Matthew 12 verses 11 and 12. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more? valuable is a person than a sheep. Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. When you get a revelation of your value to God, you will stop worrying about provision. You will stop worrying about protection. You will stop worrying about your health and you will give thanks to the Lord because He considers us valuable. The greatest proof of our value is in the price that God was willing to pay to purchase us out of slavery and bring us into his family. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. That's how much. Our Heavenly Father was willing to pay for us. We have to believe that we're valuable to God, not in an arrogant way, but in a faith way. So we're talking about breaking a poverty spirit. Remember, a revelation of the generosity of God, the gospel. Number two, a revelation of our value in God's eyes. And then number three, to learn to live generously to God. Now, I'm not just talking about finance here. I'm talking about a heart that is wide open and generously given to God. Because here's the thing, the way you deal with your money or your resources, that's just a reflection of your heart. When your heart is wide open and given fully to God, well, then your resources and whatever, they will naturally flow as well. But when our hearts are closed, when we've got a withholding poverty spirit, that's going to impact the way we deal with finances and resources as well. So first, we need a revelation of our loving, generous Father. Second, we need a revelation of our value to the Father. And then thirdly, we need a revelation of how do we live generously towards God. Now, we know that God has lived generously to us, and we've seen that in the way He gave His Son for our sins. But here's the thing. I love the way Paul captured it in Romans chapter 12. Remember that famous verse, verse number one? It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Don't you love that? Not just bring an offering. No, no. Give your bodies. The one translation says that uh, we would offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what I'm talking about when I say living generously to God. Not giving Him a piece or a part, but giving your whole life, your whole body, your everything as a living sacrifice to God. A poverty spirit always holds back, always counts the cost, always wants to pay the minimum. The opposite of a poverty spirit is actually a spirit of love. Because remember, love gives, love is generous, love is outward focused and not focused on ourselves. 
In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. In other words, here the very verse plays out this understanding of when we live generously towards God, it opens His hands so that He can live generously back towards us. But I'm not talking finance, I'm talking heart. Is your heart open wide and generous towards God? In Matthew, sorry, in Mark chapter 12 and verses 30 and 31, it says, And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Don't you love the allness? I can just see Jesus preaching this, sharing this verse. It's, it's everything. I want to ask you, is your heart truly open wide and generous towards God or have you been holding back in your love for Him and the way you serve Him? So let me wrap it up and, uh, and just come bring us all together in a conclusion. Dealing with a poverty spirit, I believe, is part of our discipleship journey. And if we can break through in this area, what a freedom and what a joy it's going to bring to our lives. Are you living in bondage to a poverty spirit? To believe the gospel, remember, means to believe in a generous, loving, good God. To believe in Jesus means to believe that we are extremely valuable to the Father. To break a poverty spirit means no longer holding back in your love for God, but trusting Him enough to open your heart wide and give Him everything. So now let's get personal just for a moment. I know for me this... Uh, this dealing with a poverty spirit it pushed some buttons inside of my heart. It exposed in me this, uh, this issue of value. And uh, I come from a, a low self-image side, low identity. And God put his finger. Actually, am I willing to repent, to confess that as sin and to embrace what God says about me? What about your understanding of the generosity of God? Have you been living with, uh, yes, you believe the gospel, but do you truly believe God is generous towards you? What about the state of your heart? Is your heart truly open wide and fully given over to God? Or have you been withholding in your love for Him? See, the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And to me, this is one of the most powerful verses because this is how we grow and mature. I'm going to invite you right where you are, whether you're watching at home, wherever you might be, I want you to close your eyes with me for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you that Jesus, your son, is the proof and the power of how much you love us. You've demonstrated your love and how much you want us to be free from that poverty type of thinking. Father, you want us to live in the freedom and peace and joy of your bigness, of your generosity, of your kindness. And so, Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit right now, that you would put your finger inside our hearts and just press some of those buttons that you want us to bring out into the light. Father, for some, we need to confess right now that we've never had a revelation of just how generous you are to us. We say we believe the gospel, yet struggle to believe that you would take care of our needs. Lord God, we confess that as sin right now. Lord God, if you... Oh, happily take care of the birds and the animals. Surely, 
you would take care of us as well. Forgive us, Lord, for insulting the bigness and wonder of your name by not trusting that you want to take care of us. Father, I pray that just uh, this area of value where maybe we've been trapped in a a bad self-image, seeing ourselves as either worthless or less than enough or not good enough. Father, thank you that you see us as valuable. And right now, we want to bring that low self-image before you, and we ask uh, that you'd wash us, cleanse us of that sin, that you would rewrite into our hearts right now. I'm valuable to my Father. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I pray where, where our hearts have been less than wide open, maybe we've responded in some way, but only given you a portion, a piece of our lives, a piece of our heart. Lord, we want to re- repent right now. We want to confess that as sin. We want to love you with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our mind, our emotions, every part of us. Help us to be generous towards you the way you have been so generous towards us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We want to live in the expansiveness of your beauty, of your wonder, of your majesty. Thank you, Lord God, that you're ministering into our hearts right now. Father, I pray for City on a Hill Church, that, Lord God, as you've blessed this church, that as a congregation, every single member in the church would grow to walk in more and more of your abundance and your victory and your breakthrough. I ask this in Jesus' name, and I thank you, Lord God, that your gracious hand rests upon us in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Thank you so much. God bless.